another darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. Yeah. Our creation awaits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We believe it. We will not be moved when the earth is wet. Church, this is the overcoming nature of his love. 
We won't stand strong based on anything that we do or deserve, but only by this overwhelming, never-ending, even reckless love of God, a love made clear in the death and resurrection of Jesus and a love whose purpose cannot fail. This is a love that can't be stopped, a love that's reckless because God means it to be. It's unlike any other, and it's a love that is for you. You see, God's love is for every sheep like us who are so prone to wander. Sheep who know what it means to lose their way, but who also know that because of this love, what it means to be found. So Lord, we raise a prayer to you now. We ask, as it says in Psalms, for you to wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge at your right hand. Let us encounter your love in a new way as we worship you and surrender. Pursue our hearts as we pursue more of you in this moment, Lord.
you give. We thank you that our confidence can be in you, that there will be a day of no more pain, no more suffering, no more anxiety, where our future is secure in you. God, thank you for that peace. Thank you for that confidence. But God, as your church, Father, we ask, Father, would you give us this peace now? Would you give us this shalom peace you say in your word? Peace in the midst of uncertainty, peace in the midst of chaos, where we can stand affirm and, and declare we won't be shaken because our God is greater. Let's place our feet at the foot of the cross, Lord, this firm foundation of Jesus here in this moment. Father, we hear news of a resurgence of COVID. Our brother, Greg, is still home dealing with it now, God. We just pray a prayer of healing over the city, over this state, this nation, this world that is dealing with this disease, God. We believe in the, in the miracle healing power of our Lord. So, Father, we ask that you would eradicate this virus in Jesus' name, and we would be able to witness your faithfulness here on this earth, God. 
Father, have your way. We pray for our brother Greg, that he would overcome this illness. And by your doing, God, you are the way. You are the only one with miracle power. So, Father, we believe in a miracle. God, we thank you that this place, this sanctuary, is a safe place where we can be in your presence and worship you. Father, we just pray for all the brothers and sisters who are dealing with COVID now or those who are dealing with the anxiety or the worry of it. Father, we just pray a prayer of freedom, a prayer of healing on our brothers and sisters, God. Let us give this, let us grasp this peace, this confidence, this shalom peace in you. Yes, our God is greater. Yes, our God is greater. And we sing holy. Yes, we sing holy in your house, God. We proclaim the name of Jesus in your house, in our homes, in our hearts forever. Yes, Jesus, have your way. Yes, Lord, let us see you move. God, thank you for this confidence. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Father, as your church, there's nothing more we can say, but holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We give you our hearts. We give you our passions. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you so much for that moment, for gathering together in unity for our nation, for our world, for our brother. Well, hey, we are in God's house today. This is a great place to be. Amen. Let's welcome each other in God's house today. Would you turn to your neighbor and just welcome them this morning as family? Good morning, MRCC. If you don't know who I am, my name is Tyler. I am the online campus pastor for MRCC. What does that mean? I get to post on social media for a living. It's basically what it is. Uh, man, it's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, we haven't live streamed since I've been up here, so I feel like I'm like uh, part of the Olympics and I just won an event. So, hi, mom. I'm doing great. Oh, man. Well, I get to bring the announcements today. I should have had this ready. Man, I failed. Uh, this coming Wednesday is the fifth grade move up. It is a kids and youth event combined, all incoming sixth graders. So their fifth grade leaving into sixth, sixth grade are going to be here 530. We're going to provide dinner for those fifth graders and their families, just come and see what Culture Youth is all about. Pastor Josh and his entire team will be there so you guys can come and connect and meet with them. Our final church picnic is coming up on August 15th. If you guys could uh, pull out your phones, there's a sticker right in front of you. 
And if you scan that sticker, it's going to bring you to the Connect card. We would love to connect with you, and you can sign up to join that team, or you can go to our website, mrccnow.org. We have over 60 volunteer positions that are needed to fill to make a picnic happen, so we would love to connect and have you on that team. And then coming up in August, on August 20th, is a Worship on the Lawn event put on by Pastor Weston and the worship team. It's going to be 7 p.m. I don't know if he's decided where he's going to put it, but it will be on the grass, just somewhere. It'll be on the lawn somewhere. Uh, We would love to see you guys at that event. Pastor Darius is going to be bringing the word today, so if you guys could open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. I don't know about everybody, but, uh, well, I'm from Eastern Washington, like, it's where I spent a big chunk of my life is in Eastern Washington, so I love the sun. So I don't know if anybody likes the sun, but last night I was, I've been, I've been tired of the heat, because in Eastern Washington, we have this thing in Eastern Washington, you've probably heard of it, it's called air conditioning. <laughs> and what it does is it conditions the air, so that it doesn't try to murder you. And uh, so I've been tired of the heat, and last night I thought, man, it's so nice. It was overcast. It was kind of cool. And then this morning I woke up, and it was overcast, and I was like, shoot, I've conditioned myself to take naps when it's rainy. And so uh, I feel sleepy this morning, but God is good, and uh, you sound sleepy this morning, so we're on the same page. It's perfect. We're going to do a couple things, though, before we jump into the message today. Um, The the first thing I want to do is this. Um, we, we've been in constant communication with Pastor Greg, and I'm sure lots of you have been in constant communication with Pastor Greg or reached out to him or have heard from him or have heard about him. But uh, we just really want to take a moment this morning to pray together. Um, and so I'm going to invite you to do this. If you're comfortable doing this, I want to create a moment right now where uh, we can just pray together. We're not going to have any music. There's no worship team. There's nothing to sing. There's no script. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, please don't. But if you feel comfortable or you want to you push yourself this morning and you just want to lift your voice, um, and the, the Bible tells us that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. And so there's something powerful that happens when we hear our voice affirming God's truth. I think that it bolsters and builds faith in us. But we're just going to do that this morning. If you feel comfortable or if you want to challenge yourself this morning, you don't feel comfortable, uh, and you just want to pray out loud with me for a moment. I'm going to pray for Pastor Greg. We're also going to pray uh, for anybody who's sick and ill right now, and specifically anybody who's struggling with the same illness that Pastor Greg has. There's lots of people all over the country, and when we're doing good as a country and as a community, we're doing really good, but there are still people who are hurting and sick, and that never ends. But right now, specifically, there's a lot of families who are dealing with this illness, so with no more explanation. I'm just going to make a time and a moment for that. So we're just going to pray together. Jesus, we just lift you up, God. You are good and faithful and loving, God. Your word doesn't go out and come back empty. Jesus, in Numbers 23, you promise us, God, if if you've said it, you'll do it. If you've spoken it, you'll fulfill it. God, we just call on that promise now. 
Lord, in Psalm 60, you say that with you we'll do valiantly because you're the one who treads down our enemies. In Psalm 144, God, you promise us, you tell us, God, that you'll train our hands for war and our fingers for battle, that you are our rock. Lord, in, in, in Psalm 61, God, you remind us that we can call out to you from the ends of the earth when our heart is faint, and you'll lead us to a rock that's higher than us. In Isaiah chapter 40, God, you promise us that when we put our faith in you, we'll mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. We'll walk and we won't grow faint. God, we just claim that today. God, we claim that over Pastor Greg, Lord. He's tired and he's weary right now. His body is tired and his body is weary. And he's tired and weary of being sick. But God, right now, your faithfulness is our promise. Your goodness is our rock. You, God, are the rock that we call to. When our heart is overwhelmed, God, lead us to that faith. Lead us to that truth. Lead us to that security. And God, we lift that up, God, for people all around the world right now, for people who don't know you, who are struggling with fear and anxiety and sickness. God, that through this, they would see the rock that is higher, the place that is more secure, the strong tower that can help them. We pray for believers across the world and in our community and in our country, God, for believers who are hurting and struggling, some believers who still have not even begun to meet fully again, even in our own country, some believers who are still afraid to be at church. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bolster them, that you would encourage them, that even if they're at home this morning, sitting in the house afraid to leave for church or afraid of what people might think of them if they go to church, Lord, that you would encourage them and empower them, that they would feel touched where they are. And right now, in Jesus' name, we ask that Pastor Greg would feel touched where he is right now, that he would feel your healing hand resting on him, a warm hand resting on his chest, filling his lungs with air, filling his mind with clarity, God, filling his body with coolness as he fights a fever in Jesus' name right now. God, we not only pray for healing, but we pray for faith and for courage in the face of what is next. Jesus, we love you so much. You are a God that does not fail your people. So God, we trust in you. Whatever happens next, whatever your plan is, God, our hands are open for it, God, because you're good and we know that in your name. Amen. Hey, yeah, we can clap for Jesus. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. God's good. God's good. So yeah, it's exciting to be at church this morning. There's a lot of stuff going on. Very weird season right now. But uh, my name is Darius, and I'm honored and privileged to be one of the pastors here at Mount Rainier Christian Center. I don't want to belabor this too much. Uh, I lead a young adults group that happens on Sunday nights. I help uh, empower and resource some of the people on staff here in, in our youth ministry. I do a lot of empowering and resourcing. I went to two weeks of camp with our youth ministry. Whew. That's a lot. And so that was awesome. It was so amazing to see God work. But I'm so thankful that we have an amazing youth pastor. He's standing over there. Our youth pastor, Josh, is an absolute hero. And so uh, anyway, I'm excited about, yeah, you can clap for Pastor Josh. Woo! So anyway, I'm excited about all that. But moving on, uh, my name is Darius, and I'm going to talk about 
God's plan this morning. So if you have a Bible, get out and go to Jeremiah. It's kind of in the first half of the Bible. It's around the middle chunk. So if you're looking for it, um, go where names start to have A-Hs at the end of them, and you'll find Jeremiah. There's a bunch of them around there. Um, And then uh, if you go to chapter 29, we're going to be there. And we're just going to look at one verse specifically from Jeremiah 29 today. I'm sure you've heard it or you've seen it at Hobby Lobby on one of those wooden signs that someone made or in someone's kitchen above their stove or something like that on someone's doormat. This, this verse is everywhere. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at some other things. We're not going to just use one verse of the Bible today and then talk for 30 minutes without Scripture. But I want to I get into this, uh, this moment in Scripture here in Jeremiah 29, 11. So once you are there, if you've got your Bible, we'll go there in a moment. If you don't have a Bible, then I'll say the verse for you. And then you can hear it. And I think it's also on the screen. Jeremiah 29, 11, God is speaking to the children of Israel while they are in exile. This is the context of the scripture is, if you didn't know this, the people of the Old Testament, God, the people that, that God writes the Bible to and through primarily, now it's for us, but it was written first to them so that they could share it with us. Uh, the people of Israel, they are like me and you. They are always in trouble and doing dumb stuff. Okay, they're a lot like me. They're always in trouble and doing dumb stuff. And so they're in exile at this moment. They spend a good chunk, maybe the majority of the Old Testament in exile because, again, like us, they they need a lot of correcting. But as they're in exile, meaning like they've left their home, which is a promised land that God promised them, and they've been taken away to a, a foreign place, to a place they don't want to be, and, and they're experiencing a lot of bad junk. This verse comes in this promise of God. See, the, the discipline and the correction and the, and the harshness of God always, always, always is paired with the impending promise and hope and joy and fulfillment and rescue of God. You don't get one without the other. It's a two-step plan. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, God is speaking to his people who are saying, God, what the heck are we doing here? And instead of reminding them again, like, what do you mean, what are you doing here? You're here because you're a bunch of boneheads. God says this. He says, don't worry. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to bring you a future and a hope. Now, you can read this verse in in several different versions of the Bible. These are just different small discrepancies in wording. They all mean the same thing. There's lots of different versions in English you can read the Bible. And and they all have like a lot of different wording for this verse. I want to get into that in a little bit. But but the, the crux of this and the center of this scripture is that God is reminding these people that he has a plan for them, that the plan is for their good, And that his plan has an end, that there's an end goal, that he knows the end of the story. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, 
I am not good at making plans, and you could ask anybody that knows me, and they would tell you I'm not good at making plans. It's not that I don't like plans. It's not that I hate it when people make plans, and it's not that I don't try to make plans. You can ask my wife. I try really hard to make plans. It's just that I don't try hard enough, <laughs> and I'm also just not that good at making them. And uh, this is something that, like, my wife and I have to partner on because I am uh, pretty good at the big picture. Like, at home, uh, Brittany and I will be trying to make a decision. My wife's name is Brittany. She's running the computer back there this morning. Uh, we'll be trying to make a decision together. Like, let's say we're trying to pick something to eat. And I will be able to, like, think big picture. What are the things we need? Meat. That's the most important. And also maybe something to go with the meat if you have to. And I can, like, think through the list. Like, a okay, big picture. What do we got? We got steak. We got chicken. We got some kind of fish, maybe pork, okay? And then I can think through the sides. Brittany, my wife, she will want to do this. And I kid you not, she will want to go to the pantry and make a brand new list. Like, even if we did this yesterday, make a brand new list of every single, an, an in, a stock and inventory of everything that's in the pantry, and that's how she will decide. So I'm okay at the big picture. I can quickly decide what's good and what's not. But then when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, I'll be like, yeah, I don't know what's Alfredo sauce. Maybe some milk, maybe some salt, put it in a pan. That doesn't work. My wife is like the fine details. I'm not good at making plans. For this reason, it took me a long time to do something that my wife asked me to do. Have you ever had somebody that you love tell you something, and they told it to you, and you looked at them, and you said come again? When I was younger, my wife told me this, and I don't know if anyone else has ever felt the same way. I'm going to go ahead and say it's prob probably not likely that any of you in this room have felt this before, but my wife looked at me, and she said, I would love you more if you did magic tricks. I really didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe she meant like, I would love you more if you were a magical ATM. I would love, I don't know. She literally meant if you knew how to do some sort of, <laughs> some sort of sleight of hand magic trick, I would love you more. And when she told me that, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Not that she's dumb. I just thought, one, I'm not going to learn magic tricks. You know why I'm not going to learn magic tricks? Because I'm not good at planning stuff. I'm not going to sit down with a deck of 52 cards and practice over and over again shuffling them. That's not my thing. I have friends who are good at that. They're weird. I don't do that. I'm not, so what happened was she told me this when we were dating. We get married. Seven years later, it was about to be our, six years later, it was going to be our sixth anniversary. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell my wife, and I'm going to learn a whole buttload of magic tricks. And I did. And it was awesome. And for our sixth anniversary, my wife had, for like months, I for months, for almost a year, I'd sit on the couch, and I'd tell her she had to like do something else, and she couldn't look at me, and I would like make her put headphones in it, and I would practice doing magic tricks. I'd carry my cards to work, and I would practice doing magic tricks on the way to work. If I had spare time in my office, I'd sit in my office, and I'd practice doing magic tricks. It, it was months and months and months, <laughs> hundreds of hours of drilling these things, because you can't do a magic trick unless you have a plan. Spoiler alert, 
all magic. All the stuff you see on TV, you probably know this. It was, a, it was new to me because I didn't care about it before. All the cool tricks you see people do, it's all just a meticulously planned charade. That's all it is. And so what I did was for months, I planned three magic tricks that I was going to do for my wife on our anniversary. So our anniversary came, and she had had no idea that I had ever, like, learned to do a magic trick. And she'd been telling me for years. So we get to our anniversary, and it's the day of our anniversary, and it's the evening, and we go out, I plan a dinner, we go out to dinner, and we come back, and I had elaborately, I'd talked to people who worked at the hotel, I'd made phone calls, I bought supplies, I had two decks of cards, because you need two decks of cards if you're going to make cards multiply. It's a long story. And so we're in the hotel room, and I have got someone who literally is delivering a, a card to the hotel room at an exact minute moment. And my wife has no idea, and I pull out a deck of cards, and she goes like this. Magic? And my wife thought that I was literally doing magic. <laughs> she likes to be tricked. She wants to be in the illusion. And in the moment when I made the cards disappear and change and turn into other cards, my wife said, how do you do that? Wait, no, don't tell me. And the trick is that it's all part of a plan. That's all. The trick is it's all part of a plan. There's no special thing. There's no magic. There's no spells. I mean, I don't do that kind of magic. <laughs> it's not me. It's all just part of a huge plan. I'm not good at making plans, but God is really good at making plans. I'm not good at making an elaborate setup. I did this one time, and it barely worked. I'm not good at making plans, and I know that I'm not good at making plans, but God is a God who knows how to make a plan. He's a God who knows what's going to happen, and he knows what has happened. I want to talk about this morning the fact that God is good at making plans. Someone is good at making plans. It's not me, and to be honest, it's not any of you, but someone in this room right now is good at setting things up, making a plan, and making them end well. There's a guy named Joseph at the end of Genesis, a guy named Joseph. And if you've ever read the story at the end of Genesis, Joseph is a kid, and he's got several brothers, and he happens to be his father's favorite kid. He comes from a dysfunctional family. His father was his, his father had some serious problems earlier in his life. His father uh, had kids with different women, and, uh, and Joseph was his favorite son from his favorite wife. A dysfunctional background, like a lot of us. And because Joseph was his father's favorite son, Joseph had delusions of grandeur about his own life. And Joseph would go to sleep and he would have dreams and he would wake. Any of you have an older brother that ever beat you up? Just me. My older brother lit me on fire one time, okay? That's, <laughs> just looked over at me. I had charcoal on my stomach. He just looked over at me and went, Pfft. just lit my stomach on fire. That's like my perception of older brothers. But Joseph was so brazen that he would have dreams. And in his dreams, his older brothers would be bowing down to him and worshiping him. And this little jerk had... <laughs> This little jerk had the wherewithal to wake up from his dreams and put on this special rainbow coat that his dad had made him. 
He had this special coat that his dad made him that nobody else got. It's a special Joseph coat. And put on his special coat and brag about how he's his dad's favorite and go out to his brothers and go, Brothers, I don't know if you knew this, but I had a dream last night. Would you like to hear about it? And they're all like working. They're like doing manual labor. They're like, no, Joseph, shut up and go away. It's like, oh, good. I thought you might want to hear. Well, in my dream, see, I was really special and you were really dumb. That's essentially the nature of most of his early dreams. I'm really special. You're really not. So you guys should think I'm special. And what happened was, to no one's surprise, <laughs> his brothers sold him into slavery. They were going to murder him, so they let him off easy. They sold him into slavery. They told their father he was dead. And Joseph's life begins a, it becomes a cascading event, uh, a cascading unfolding of very strange events. He goes, he goes from being a special kid to being very not important. He goes from being a slave to working, in his, uh, to working as a slave in the, in the lead slave in someone's house. Then he goes from being the lead slave in someone's house after he's been sold into slavery. He goes from there to being put in prison. Then he goes from being in prison to being uh, like uh, an advisor. Then he goes from being an advisor to being in charge of the finances for all of Egypt. Then... He meets his family at the end, and his family is living in a land that he came from that's got famine happening in it. And Joseph is in charge of the distribution of all of the famine food, all the food that's getting distributed to people who need it. And his brothers come to him, and they don't even recognize who he is. It's been so long, and he's changed so much. And he reveals to his brothers who he is. And at the end, his brothers weep and they apologize and they say, Joseph, I can't believe we've done this to us. And we've tried to, we sold you into slavery and here you are blessing us and giving us free food. And Joseph says, don't worry because what you planned for evil, God purposed for good. What you planned for evil, God purposed purposed for good. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think I've actually shared it when I've been preaching here at MRCC. It is so important to know that all of our mishaps and mishappenings, all the things that we, now don't get me wrong, if we've made mistakes and we've messed up and we've screwed up plans, it doesn't mean, oh, it's okay that you screwed up. Because you were just fulfilling the plan. What it says in scripture is, you purpose it for evil, but God is purposing it for good. It means that no matter what has happened that you have messed up in, God is repurposing it for your good. It means that no matter what we have done, no matter how we've failed the plan, God's plan won't fail us. It means that no matter what you're going through right now, God is not surprised by it. That's, it's one of the most amazing parts of the story, is that God wasn't surprised when Joseph was sold into slavery. God wasn't surprised when Joseph became a slave. God wasn't surprised when Joseph was wrongly accused 
of misconduct. God wasn't surprised when Joseph was put in prison. God wasn't surprised by the famine. And God wasn't surprised by the reuniting of Joseph and his brothers. God knew what was coming next the entire time. And I want to encourage you this morning, as you're making plans and you're looking towards the future, whether you are trying to make sure that you have a plan for the next year, or whether you have no idea what you're flipping doing for the next year, I want to encourage us with this. Someone is good at making plans. And if you are worried about what's next, I empathize with you, I feel for you, and I sit with you because I don't know what is next in the world. I don't know what's next in the next year. I don't know what's next after the COVID stuff finally is really actually over. I don't know what's next for our kids going back to school and they still have to wear masks. I don't know what's next for the marriages that are hurting. I don't know what's next if you're struggling with mental health problems because it's been a hard two years. I don't know what's next if your kids don't follow Jesus. I do not know what's next. But someone's good at making plans. And this morning what we can do is we can say, I don't know, but I know the person that knows. I don't know what's next, but I know the God that never is surprised. Maybe we don't know what to do next, but you know the God that knows what to do next. Look, I, I, and I, we could go through a list of, well, in this scenario, maybe we should do this. In this scenario, maybe we should do this. And we can go to Scripture, and we can make a list of all But you know what? There's a billion scenarios. So here are two things that we can do to remind ourselves to be in God's plan. Because someone is good at making plans. One, we can go to God's Word. And if we are confused or scared about what is next, we can say, God... What does your word tell me? I promise you, if you open your Bible and you sincerely ask that question, there will be answers. Some of the decisions might be difficult ones or they might be answers you didn't want to hear, but they'll be good answers. Two, we can position ourselves in a worshipful stance with God. Someone's good at making plans. So what do we do? We worship the plan maker. Say, God, I don't know what's coming next, but you do. People have worked this for evil, but you'll work it for good. God, I have purposes for, can I just encourage you this morning? (laughs) If you have sincerely screwed up in this season, God's not done with you. Maybe you sincerely screwed up raising your kids. I'm not trying to be harsh. All parents screw up raising their kids. I think that's maybe what parent means. That's, that's, that's part of life. There's one perfect father. His name is God. But maybe you sincerely screwed up raising your kids. God has purposed it for good. You purposed it for evil. You failed. Maybe you didn't know what to do. Maybe you felt like you were doing your best. Maybe you knew you weren't doing your best. Maybe you don't know what to do next because you have adult children who are far from God and you feel like it's your fault. Can I tell you something? God is in control. So instead of trying to manipulate your children, what I I propose we do is worship God and pray for our children and love them. Instead of trying to manipulate the circumstances, what I propose we do is say, Jesus, I'm going to stay focused on you. I'm going to open up your word. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be with your people, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to show grace, and I'm going to show mercy, and I'm going to trust that you'll do the rest. 
the thing that's really important in God's plan is this, is that no one cares about you. No one cares about me. No one cares about us as much as Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. This is so good. God is not only saying that he has a plan for us. That's the first thing he's saying, right? He's saying, don't worry, I have a plan for you. But he's also saying this. He's saying, no one cares about the plan more than me. I think sometimes we want to take life into our own hands because we're worried about the plan. In, in Matthew 6, 26, Jesus is he's preaching and he says, look at the birds. They don't harvest. They don't plant. They don't go out there and plow. They don't put stuff in storehouses. The birds are useless. <laughs> they don't do nothing. They don't got jobs. The birds are a bunch of hippies. <laughs> what the heck, these birds? He says, but they never have need. God provides for them. He provides place for them to live. He provides shelter. He provides food. The birds are taken care of. He says, so if God cares for stupid things like hippie birds, don't you think God cares about you? Don't you think your Father in heaven cares for you? Sometimes the hard thing about planning is this. I meant to bring a fanny pack this morning. Anybody ever wear a fanny pack before? My dad was like the toughest guy I ever knew when I was a kid, and he wore a, a leather fanny pack. When I, so looking back on that, it's one of the funniest things in the world. <laughs> this tough guy with his huge shoulders walking around, this big leather fanny pack. What's up? I don't know if you've ever seen somebody wearing a fanny pack, but they're the, one of the most functional, useful pieces of um, attire, fashion, we could say, you could ever have. Because who needs pockets when you've got a, I don't know, anyway. If you've ever seen somebody wearing a fanny pack, they're often like bright colored, and usually they're like maybe wearing rollerblades. They've got big sunglasses on. Maybe they're listening to a Walkman. <laughs> they got fingerless gloves, mesh t-shirt. This is what a fanny pack wearing person should look like. I want you to just close your eyes with me for a moment. Close your eyes with me and, and just imagine, and I'm, I'm, not be, I'm not kidding. It's a funny illustration, but I'm being serious. Close your eyes and imagine someone wearing a fanny pack. If you'd like to come on this strange journey with me and, and, and they're wearing short shorts and they're rollerblading, that's fine. But your person could be wearing whatever kind of fanny. They can look what, however you want them to look. Maybe their fanny pack is leather. I don't care. But I want you to imagine them wearing their fanny pack it's maybe eight inches long, four inches tall. You know what a fanny pack looks like. If you don't, please Google it after this. We can set up a small group for people who don't know what fanny packs look like. Now, I want you to imagine that person on their rollerblades with their fanny pack tries to shove an airplane inside their fanny pack. Now, open your eyes. What happened to that person? They got crushed by that airplane, right? Hopefully, it wasn't a prop plane because they got chopped into pieces. You cannot put an airplane in a fanny pack. Is this news to anybody? Okay, good. God is the airplane, and you are the person with the fanny pack. God is the 747, and I am the person on his rollerblades. 
trying to get God. When we try to get God on our plan, that's what we look like. And God is saying to us, please stop making your plans and thinking that I'm going to bless your plans. How many of us do that? God, I did this thing. I didn't really consider you while I was doing it, but I made the decision, and I did all the stuff, and I did all the preparation, and I poured all this money and time and energy into it. And now, God, that I've ignored you the whole time, if you wouldn't mind blessing it, please. Maybe it's just me, but that's definitely me. And we say, God, would you bless? And God is saying, look, I want to bless you. I care about you more than anything. But don't you realize that I had a plan the whole time? Now, I'm not saying that we should just like stop thinking and just walk through life (laughs) with our eyes closed through traffic saying, God has a plan. But I am saying this, that when we go and we make our plans without God, when Jesus is, a, is, is an afterthought for us, we miss out on what God wants to do for us. When God is an afterthought for us, we miss out on the moments that God has for us. God wants to be the primary. He doesn't want to be plan B. God is the, Jesus is the plan. As a matter of fact, Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. When God made the world, Jesus was the plan. When God called Abraham, Jesus was the plan. When Adam and Eve sinned, and God said to Eve, you'll have pain in childbearing, but you will bring forth a man, and Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush Satan's head. In that moment, Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. Jesus is the plan. So what is the plan for for raising children? The plan is to show them Jesus. Now, there's other things that have to happen. I've heard feeding, watering, whatever. But Jesus is the primary plan. Yeah, well, they're like plants. Who knows? When we're trying to decide what our marriage looks like, Jesus is the first part of the plan. When we're trying to decide what our career looks like, is God going to drop a fortune cookie on it that says, you're supposed to fix elevators for a li- I know a guy who said he fixes elevators for a living. I don't know if God's going to do that. But Jesus is the first part of the plan. God, how can I glorify you? That's the first part of the plan. The reason that this is so important is because I don't do it because I don't believe that God cares about me more than I care about myself. Which is pretty funny because nobody should care about me more than I care about myself because I care about myself a lot. I'm pretty selfish by nature. But Jesus says, if God takes care of the birds, don't you think your Father in heaven cares for you? You know who knows what it's like to have to struggle with trusting God's plan? Jesus. Can you imagine just for a second being Jesus? Everyone in town is telling you that you're fatherless. That's the rumor around town. People know this about Jesus. Oh, this is the guy his mom got pregnant out of wedlock. They were engaged and Joseph was going to divorce her, but then there was some nonsense about an angel and now they're married. And this is the stigma that Jesus grows up with in a culture that is not okay morally. 
with that. And Jesus has to trust his whole upbringing that he has a father that loves him and that it's God. He's fully God. Yes, Jesus is. He's fully man and he's fully God. This is what scripture tells us. He's fully man and he's fully God. Now, obviously, Jesus perseveres because he's Jesus. And being fully man and fully God, he knows that God is his father. But then he begins his public ministry. And you know who his first, his first critics are? His family. The people that are supposed to support him and believe in him. His first critics are the people who are closest to him. And then in his hometown, his, his deepest critics. When Jesus goes to his hometown to heal people and do miracles, it, it, Scripture says he couldn't do much because of their unbelief. And then Jesus perseveres through all of that. Hebrews 2.18, it tells us this. It says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are suffering and being tempted. But Jesus goes up to the, the night before the crucifixion. I don't know if you struggle with anxiety. I don't know if you struggle with depression. I don't know if you've had so much pressure in your life in the last season that you feel like you could sweat blood. But that's what Jesus did. And he says to God in the garden the night before the crucifixion, he says to his father, he says, Father, this is a, this is a crappy plan. Not in those words. He says, Father, if you could change the plan and take this cup of suffering away from me, I would really appreciate that. But if not, your will, not mine, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, God. I trust you, Father. And so his disciples all fall asleep. They're supposed to be there supporting him, and he's left alone again, abandoned by people who are supposed to support him again. And then the moment of the crucifixion, Jesus experiences what he has to experience, which is a momentary separation from God the Father as he becomes the embodiment of sin on our behalf. And he experiences an intentional separation from God the Father so that he can be crucified and die. And he says, God, God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if any of you have felt like that in this season of your life. God, why? Why cancer? God, why? Why has my spouse left me? God, why? Why is my child sick? God, why? Why don't my children know Jesus? God, why? Why am I filing for bankruptcy? God, why? Why are we losing our house? Jesus knows how you feel and cares about how you feel. Can I just express that to you? Jesus knows and cares about where your heart is. No one has ever cared about the hurt that you feel more than Jesus. He is the number one person in your corner. He knows the feeling of being abandoned. He knows the feeling of having to take suffering that he doesn't want. He knows what it feels like to be alone. He knows what it feels like to hurt. He knows what it feels like to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it feels like. And he cares that you hurt in the same way. He cares intimately and deeply. It saddens him. It grieves him. It hurts him. And he mourns with you. 
Those of you who aren't mourning right now, that might sound silly. Okay, so he mourns with people. Those of you who are mourning right now, it means the world to you. Because when you're mourning and you're grieving, you're at that funeral, or you're at the house by yourself, or you're at the hospital by yourself, or you have something going on that you wish you could tell everybody, but you can't. You know what it would feel like or what it does feel like when just one person just sits down with you and says, I know it hurts, but I want to sit with you. It's a powerful feeling. That's why it's why grown men love being in combat, even though it's the worst thing in the world, because they've got someone by their side, someone who will sit with them. That's why people commiserate. That's why people seek each other out. But in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, Hey, I know it hurts but it's not a surprise to me. I know it hurts. So this morning, if you're hurting because you don't know the plan, I want to encourage you that Jesus knows how that feels and he does have a plan. The last thing that we get from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is this. It says, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you a future and a hope. That we can lay down our future because God has our future in his hands. We can lay down our future. This is good news to any of us who are anxious or weary about what's coming next. It's good news to any of us who feel like we're in the middle of a story and we feel like it's ended. Those of us who feel like it's too late or that we've missed the boat or that we've messed up or that there's nothing redeemable. This is good news for any of us who are hurting today or any of us who are lost today. It's good news for any of us today that need hope. The word that the, the Hebrew uses in Jeremiah 29, 11 for future is akarith. Now, it's spelled really weird because Hebrew is nuts. But it's pronounced akarith. As a matter of fact, probably the closest translation in English that we could actually get to, to this statement that God makes in Jeremiah 29 is probably this. I know the kind of thoughts I have about you, promises God. Thoughts for your good and thoughts for your peace, the word shalom. Thoughts to bring you an expected end. There's this concept in Latin for literature, and it's the, this two words, vide supra. What it means is vide meaning vision and supra meaning over or above or overarching. And, and what it means is it means a vision that comes at the beginning but knows what's happening at the end. It's the, it's, the, it's the same concept of, of, of akarith. Akarith is this word, and what it means in Hebrew is that God knows how the story ends, the expected end. He knows what the end will be. He knows what happens at the end of everything. That's what it means. 
God has a plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to bring you a future and a hope. And, and what it means is that God is saying, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for your end. I know how your story ends. It might be unexpected to you, but it's not unexpected to me. It might be unexpected to you that you're hurting right now, but it's not unexpected to me. It might be unexpected to you that you're sick, but it's not unexpected to me. I know how your story ends, God says. You know, the trick to magic tricks is that you know what's going to happen at the end before you start because you've already set it up. In, in, in a magic trick, there's three things, okay? There's, there's the setup. Any, any person who does sleight of hand tricks will tell you this. There's the setup. There's a turn. And there's a reveal. Sometimes you do this thing called a false turn. A false turn is like if I said, hey, pick a card, any card. You picked a card. I shuffled the cards. And then I showed you a card on purpose that wasn't your card, right? Your card's the ace of hearts. I show you a seven of clubs. A false turn is great because a false turn is what I always do to my wife. <laughs> if I do a card trick for my wife, we do a false turn. Brittany, close your ears. We do a false turn. And a false turn makes it appear as if I don't know which card is yours. But the joke is on you, my friend. Because then comes the real turn and the reveal. And after a false turn, meaning I show you the wrong card, I set you up to think that the plan failed. I put that card back in the deck, and I say, shoot, is there anything in your back pocket? And then you pull the ace of hearts out of your back pocket, and I look awesome. <laughs> well, God's not a magician. He's not a trickster. But God is a God who has a plan. That day for my wife when I did the magic trick was a year after we started going to counseling. About a year and three months. And what my wife didn't know that day was that I had spent hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours <laughs> laboring over this silly trick because I wanted to make my wife smile for her anniversary because I wanted to stay married. And right now you might be in a moment where you're looking at a false turn and what you might not know today is that God has spent hours and hours and years and millennia and decades and time preparing this season for you. He knows how it ends. To you, it might look like it's just another part of an act, but God knows. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what the end looks like. And so you might be in the middle of something and you have no idea how God has set this up. You might be like Joseph's family, wondering how on earth you're going to feed yourselves. And you're talking to someone that you don't recognize and they mean nothing to you. And you're, and you're saying, I just, all I need is some food right now or I need a savior right now or I need some help right now. And what God is saying is, you don't even realize that I already have an end planned for you. Jesus is, he's the backup plan. 
but he's also the only plan. There was only ever one plan, and it was Jesus. This morning, here's how we're going to end this service. Is, um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're just going to pray. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss. If you've got a Connect card, uh, if you've been... If you're trying to make a plan for the next season, can I encourage you? There are two things. There are two things that you can do today that will set you up. I I believe, we believe as a church that would set us up well for the next season. And that's if you would get prepared to be a part of a small group or you would get on a ministry team where you could meet some people and serve alongside some people. So after we pray, if you want to take a connect card and fill it out and write those things on your connect card or mark those things on your connect card, it's a great way to take a next step in God's plan. But right now, I just want to pray and ask the God that knows the plan to encourage us. Jesus, this morning, we want to submit to your plan. So help us, God, make a next step in trusting you. God, we pray in your name that today people who are discouraged would trust that there's a plan. That people who have been making their own plans would lay down their future because you have a future for them. That people in this room today that need a Savior would say yes to the plan of Jesus.